we're glad that it's not raining so we can do this and gather outside together. I heard a story, and the story I heard was, I've been watching a lot of Westerns in the last many years, actually, I like Westerns, and uh, there's this story about a cowboy, and he rides into this town as, you know, is the story of Westerns. The cowboy rides into town, and he goes into the saloon, and he orders himself a beer, and he sits at the counter and drinks his beer, and what he doesn't know is that town was very hard on strangers, and so they like to play jokes on them, and they like to actually just, you know, steal their stuff sometimes, and which isn't a joke, but so they ended up, um, you know, he, he finished his drink, and, and he walked outside, and his horse was gone. They'd taken his horse, and so, um, so he, he was, you know, had a lot of feelings, so he walked back into the bar, or the saloon, cha-ching, 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 he walked in the middle, and everyone kind of looks at him, and he whips out his pistols, and he starts swinging them around, and he puts them back in. And the music goes. And then he's like, which one of you sidewinders stole my hoss? And it's just dead quiet. Everyone just looks away. And then he looks around. And then he says, all right, I'm going to finish another beer. And if my hoss ain't outside where I left it, then I'm going to do what I did in Texas. And I don't like what I had to do in Texas. And he goes over to the bar, puts out his hand, and the bartender gives him another beer, and he starts drinking it. And it's pretty quiet, and there's some shuffling. And then he finishes, and he goes back outside, and sure enough, his horse is back. And so uh, he gets on his horse, and he starts riding off. And suddenly the bartender pokes his head out the saloon door, and he says, uh, Hey, partner, uh, just curious, um, what did happen in Texas? And the cowboy turned back and looked at him and said, well, I had to walk. (laughs) My kids issue these all the time. They're called ultimatums. That's what they're called, ultimatums. They do it to each other. If you don't, then I'll fill in the blank. Or you'll never, or mom will, or whatever their situation is. The ultimatum, right? That's what it's called. Now, if parents do it, we have a different word for it. It's called uh, conditionals. And so we frame it maybe, if you don't finish dinner, then you'll, you won't get any ice cream. So that would be like a conditional. Or if a kid said it to one another kid, it might be an ultimatum. But, you know, for parents, it's different. We get to call them conditionals. So when Paul starts using this kind of language, we might feel squirmy. It, it might be hard for us. If, then. And that's kind of how religion feels a lot of the time. It feels like a conditional. Or maybe even ultimatum-y, if I can make a word out of that. So we'll need to see past our presuppositions today to hear Paul's message of joy. Past what we kind of think of uh, as being locked into that language. In our sermon series, we're, we're talking about Paul's Philippian letter. And it's kind of, it's set in joy. And so we've called our series Joy Everywhere. And our passage this morning is going to remind us that how we live matters— But what we do flows out of who we are. It's conditional upon it. And, of course, all this flows out of who God is and what he's done. Or if we don't see it this way, if we can't see it this way, we're just going to be stuck in the hamster wheel of striving for imagined ultimatums. So let's read this morning. I put it on the back of your sheet if you 
uh, don't have your Bible with you, that's okay. It's on the back of that uh, paper that has the songs on it. And it's uh, Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 to 4. I gave you a little more, so if you want more context, you can uh, read on. But 1 to 4 is what we're looking at this morning. Paul writes this, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. And that's where we'll stop today. We're going to see that Christians have been changed to become people of unity and humility. Christians have been changed to become people of unity and humility. Paul starts his, uh, this section with, um, if you have. And, and I kind of like to think we could fill that in with anything. If you have, uh, you know, if you have a funny joke. And so I thought of a few jokes that I found that, that they said they were guaranteed to make you laugh. And so when I read them, I thought, well, that's a, that's a big stretch. You know, is that really true? And so I'm going to read them for you and we'll see if we get any laughs at all, or if you can make it through all of them and not laugh, okay? So the first one is, what's red and bad for your teeth? The answer is a brick. Good, we got some laughs there. Why can't dinosaurs clap? Because they're dead. I mean, come on. What's green and fuzzy, has four legs, and would kill you if it fell out of a tree? A pool table. That's what you were thinking. A man is washing his car with his son when the boy goes, Dad, can't we just use a sponge? He's using his son. Eh, I gotta get one of those. My grandmother's last words before she kicked the bucket were, hey, how far do you think I can kick this bucket? Some of you are uncomfortable there for a second. If you have a funny joke, then people will laugh. It's kind of, it's a general truth. Actually, that statement is called a zero conditional. A zero conditional. And what that means is it expresses a general truth. So if you have a funny joke, people will laugh. I mean, it's a principle. It's a general truth. And this is the same kind of conditional that Paul's using. It's not a conditional like if you don't eat your dinner, then you might not get dessert. But more like when you're tall, you bump your head a lot. That's a general truth. Therefore, Paul says, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, and then he goes on into the second part of his conditional. But this is the if section. And commentators will tell us that the whole thing is a very long conditional sentence. The whole thing is a conditional, our whole section. But conditional, not an outcome but in the sense that the second part is resting on the first part. So if this state of being is true for you, then the rest of this applies. All the, the, if these four Christian truths are true of you, then the rest of it is also true for you. Now again, we take comfort in Paul's sentence structure. Jeff Vanderselt would say, indicatives come before imperatives. 
Indicatives meaning who you are comes before imperatives is the commands, what you do. So in the same way we've talked about it before that the order that best describes our doing is not that you should do this and this is how we do it, but the order is who is God? What does God do? And then who are we? What do we do? And then how do we do it? So if we filled in something into that framework, something specific like we could say God is love. And so what did God do? God sent his son to come and to die for us out of love. So who are we? We are the beloved of God. And what do we do? Well, we love others. We love God. We love others. And how do we do that? Well, lots of different ways our church chooses to do that. Or we could say, who is God? God is, is humble. He's a humble God. God. What does God do? He sends Jesus in humility. He comes in humility to serve and to give his life for many. And so who are we? We're the servants of God. What do we do? We live humbly in service to others and to God. And specifically, how do we do that? Well, no job is too menial for us. No person is too unimportant for us to serve or to love on. We find our doing from our being from our, and our being from his character and his activity. And so the four things Paul lays out for us, kind of four little sections that he would say, if any of these things are true for you. So the first one is, if any encouragement from Jesus. Now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you a few Greek words. You don't have to remember these, but I kind of like, I taught myself how to say them and Ben will correct me later because he's taking Greek this summer. So I was like, I'm going to practice my Greek and impress mainly Ben really is the idea here. So the Greek word for encouragement is paraklesis, paraklesis. And it means appeal or exhortation or incitement or entreaty or earnest supplication. So it's not encouragement like, oh, that's nice. It's like an encouragement like, come on, you can do it. Like, uh, it's like something that gets you out of your seat, an incitement, an appeal. The message uh, paraphrases this, this section. It says, if you've gotten anything at all out of following Christ, if his love has made any difference in your life. And so my question for you is, and for me, is has Jesus made any difference in your life? Any difference at all? Has anything changed since you started following Jesus? And if the answer is yes, then this, this conditional applies to you. This section applies to you, okay? And then the second one is maybe the first one. I don't know. Maybe that was a no. I don't know. The second one is if you have any comfort from love. Comfort being, uh, the Greek word being paramuthian. Paramuthian. Yeah, I got the thumbs up. Which is the consolation. It's like, it's really like comfort. Like the comfort we think of is like you comfort someone who's in sorrow. It's this, it's this encouragement, but it's like a gentle cheering. So this encouragement we get, this comfort from love. Now Romans 5 verse 5 says, Hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts. That's the love. Through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. This love is agape. It's the love of God. It's not any other kind of love. It's not just any love. It's agape. God's never-ending, unbreakable, never-changing love that's poured into our hearts. And this is our hope and our comfort. So my question for you, again, the second part of this would be, have you ever been comforted by the unconditional love of God? 
Has that ever happened to you? Maybe it was an understanding experience. Maybe it was a physical experience. You had the love of God wash over you. I don't know. If you've ever been comforted by the unconditional love of God, then the next section is also applies to you. Thirdly, if you have any participation in the Spirit, and this participation is common sharing, it's the koinonia word, and we've talked about that before. Koinonia being fellowship or participation, sharing. It's this, the extension of, of deep and meaningful friendship or relationship. What happens between you? This kind of sharing or fellowship. You could think of our value relational journey. We have the redemptive news, the relational journey, the outward mission. The, redempt, or the relational journey is koinonia. It's the relationship we have with each other and with the Spirit of God, how he leads us and how we are walking together in relationship and life. And so we've got this picture. So my question for you is, have you benefited at all being in a community of the Spirit? And if the answer is yes, if you've ever benefited at all from being in a community of faith or of the Spirit of our church, if that's yes, then this conditional applies to you. Fourth, if you have any intestines, that's number four. Literally, and the Greek word here sounds like an intestine, splachan, splachan. It's like splatchan, you know, with a little ch. So it's like kind of how I picture the word intestine should sound. And this is the word. It's the inward parts of the body. It's the intestines. It's your viscera, bowels. Your entrails. I'm not making up these words. This is in the, the, the church dictionary, okay? Your intestines. And also metaphorically, your, in, your innards, meaning your heart or your affection or your tenderness. So the tender affections, the seat of your feelings. So if you pictured Inside Out, the Pixar movie, where all those emotions are sitting, that would be this word, splakhan. That would be that, that place where it all is happening, that you're who you are and what you care about. And so my, my question for you here would be, do you have a heart? Do you care about these people or others? Do you have compassion that wells up in you sometimes? <laughs> Ever. Then this conditional applies to you. So what are the conditionals that are applying to us if we answered yes to any of those? And the answer is, First, unity. Unity, Paul says. Now, I've told you this joke before, I know I have, but it's a funny joke, so just roll with me, okay? Just laugh along as if it's the first time you've ever heard it. So there's the guy on the desert island, and uh, he's been there a long time, many, many years, and, uh, and so he gets rescued by the ship, comes by, and the, the guys come out, and they, they rescue him, and then they go to the captain of the ship, and they say, Captain, before we, we pull this guy off the island, he wants to show you the stuff that he's made here on this island all these years, and he's kind of proud of it, and he's got to say goodbye, and so the captain says, okay, and he comes down, and, and the guy, you know, brings him to this, first, this very nice, elaborate building, and he says, you know, I built this building. This is, the captain says, well, what is this? He says, well, this is my house, and then he leads him to another, even more elaborate building. It's like, wow, this is this is really great. What's this building? And he says, well, this is my church. He says, wow, this is amazing. He says, okay, well, we can go. He says, well, what's this building over here? There's another building too. He says, well, that's the church I used to go to. <laughs> Unity. It's funny because we know it's true. 
Paul's appeal is for unity. And I think if Paul were on the desert island and the captain came to Paul, there might be three buildings still. And Paul would say, here, this first house, this is my house that I built. This second building, this is the church that sent me. And this third building is the church that I planted. He might still have three buildings because of his view on the world and how he goes about, about building churches and caring about unity. If Jesus has made a difference, if love has changed you, if you are part of a spirit-inspired community, if you have a heart, then be one. This is what Paul says. Then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Now, like-minded, this, that kind of brings up stuff for us you know, I, there's things we think of and, and we aren't um, becoming, wow, that's a big branch just fell. That branch is no longer one with that tree. It is separated. Speaking of unity, uh, we aren't, when we talk about unity or like-mindedness, we aren't, um, we're not talking about caricatures or mini-me's or becoming yes-men. That's not, that's not the picture. This isn't an invitation to lose our sense of self. It's not to, to lose our unique features or to lose our perspective. That's not what unity means. Although like-mindedness does mean that we would feel the same way or think the same way. But I believe it's talking about our basic worldview, not in every single thing. That would be crazy. It's, that, it's not that there isn't any differences. It's that our differences don't divide us. That's the kind of unity we're talking about. Romans 12.2 says, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That your mind would become like the mind of Christ. The other word here, one in spirit, it, it literally is fellow-souled. Fellow-souled, like not your shoe soul, but your soul soul. Fellow-souled. I like that picture. The same love, one mind. And when I say mind, sometimes people think of like the Star Trek Borg, you know, assimilation. You will be assimilated. And it's like there's this hive mind and everyone who comes into it becomes like, we are thinking all the same. You know, and that's kind of like like-minded or one mind or these kind of words make us think of that. And that's not the picture we should be thinking about. Thank you, Star Trek. The picture we should be thinking about is like a tapestry or a quilt or a building with bricks in it, or uh, a family with the same family name and the same upbringing, but different, very different expressions of it, or a vine plant or branch connected to a tree, or a human body. These are the pictures, something that's connected. It's the same, but it's also different. It has differences, but, but it's the same. When we were at Quanos a week ago, we were uh, Lauren and I were at a lunch talking to another pastor who'd kind of left his position and he's kind of there retarding. He was about to take another uh, pastor position. And so we were after lunch sharing our story and they were sharing their story. And, and as we shared our story again, I was hit by a part of it. Again, it struck me that it's kind of become, you know, just a, a thing I don't really think about as much anymore. But in, when I shared with them and they reacted to it, it again struck me just how amazing it was. And it was the section of our our story of planting this church where uh, I met with Dwayne and I said, you know, we've got this very vague idea of 
planting. We don't know where. We don't know what. We don't know how. It's like very vague. So it's like way out there in ideal land. And Dwayne's first response was, would you consider planting a church in Maple Ridge? Here. Because we need good churches here. We need pastors like you and people like the people that you'll bring to for this church. We need that to be happening in Maple Ridge. And their reaction when I told them the story is, was striking because it is surprising when you hear a kingdom perspective of unity that is not personally about themselves. It's about something bigger. It's a heart that cares more about the kingdom than turf. If a pastor can have turf or power to influence or some self uh, thing that they've got going on. And Dwayne demonstrated it well this picture of what unity really could and does look like. Unity and then humility. Paul says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Now, English makes this a new sentence, and it starts with an imperative. Do nothing. And we could hear that like, oh, wow, okay, here comes the command part. Do nothing out of selfish ambition, you know, and it's like, whoa, okay. But actually, the way this is, is laid out and written, it's connected. It's connected to be of the same mind here, and it carries over into this section. So maybe it would read, you know, if Jesus has made any difference, if love has changed you, if you're a part of a spirit-inspired community, if you have a heart, then be of the same mind and live as a humble difference maker, just like Jesus. Maybe that's what it would say. Paul says selfish ambition or vain conceit. And I was thinking like, what does that even look like for us? And I thought maybe it's those thoughts of like, how can I get ahead in this situation? How can I move forward here? Or how can I benefit myself in this scenario? Or maybe it's how can I look better here? What could I do to make myself look better in this situation? Maybe those are the kind of things that drive selfish ambition or vain conceit. Now, commentators write that English, again here, doesn't carry the same weight that the Greek does. It it could even say, don't even think any thoughts motivated by selfish ambition. Don't even think any thoughts. It's like a strong statement. So my response is like, well, how exactly am I going to do that? That sounds like, okay, well, how? And then Paul goes in the next section, and I've given it to you on your paper. Philippians 2.5. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. This picture of becoming like Jesus If Jesus has made the difference in your life, then your perspective will change. Your viewpoint will alter. Your mindset will shift. Your ambitions will shift too. Love will change us. There's a story of a a columnist and a minister many years ago. His name was Dr. Crane, George Crane. And he had a woman come to him um, in his kind of counseling and she, she was very angry, a wife, and she said, I want to get a divorce, but more than a divorce, I want to get revenge. I'm so angry at my husband for the way he's treated me and the things in our marriage, and I'm, I'm so angry. And so 
Dr. Crane said, okay, well, you know, there's, a, there's one way you could really spite him. I mean, really get to him. She said, okay, tell me what it is. And he said, um, well, the, the way you could really spite him is to pretend to love him. What you should do is you should tell him how much he means to you and then go out of your way to be kind and considerate and as generous as possible. Spare no effort to please him, to enjoy him. Make him believe that you love him. And after you've convinced him of your undying love and that you really cannot live without him and he really believes you, then just stick it to him. Then divorce him. And I mean, it will break his heart. You'll just, you'll, that'll be revenge. And she was like, yeah, that's a great idea. She's so angry. And so she goes off and two months pass and he, he's like, I haven't heard from this lady. So he calls her up and he says, you know, how's it going? Are you ready to get a divorce now? Or how, you know, how's the plan going? She says, divorce? No way. We're the happiest we've ever been. I mean, this is the most in love we've ever been. It's amazing. That's how it works. I can't explain to you how exactly transformation happens. I just know that it does. Inexplicably, we slowly, painfully sometimes, become like Jesus. We begin to see things the way he does. And so, in conclusion, Christians have been changed to become people of unity and humility. But let's not mistake the message. The message is not a conditional which may happen or might be true, given such and such. It is already a truth. It's a general truth already. If we have been changed, if we have experienced love, if we have felt community of the Spirit, if we have a heart and care at all, we will be one. One loaf, one cup, one body, one spirit. And Paul's joy comes with our unity. A oneness that celebrates differences, but also unifies to one mind, the mind of Jesus. The head, the beginning and end, our common heart. And we will walk in humility. A people, a humble people who value and care for others. Paul's joy comes in our humility. Humility expressed in a mindset and an ambition our, our desires transformed, uh, not for ourselves, but for others, that we would see the kingdom come. Our priorities shift to care and to serve and to love. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you that you have made a difference, that as we've chosen to follow you, that um, you've changed us and you are still changing us. And so um, both this passage uh, is, is hopeful in uh, its promise and also it's a thing that we, we look, look toward, uh, that, we're, that we're moving toward, Jesus, that we could be one, that we could care uh, less about our differences and more about uh, what un- unifies us, that you're our head and uh, that we can celebrate the ways that we're different and know that uh, we're all part of this picture that you've called us to. Thank you also that um, the, the example you gave us was one of humility. You could have come a lot of different ways and you came in humility to demonstrate to us what it means to, to give a, a life of service and care. And so uh, even in this world that's scrambling to figure out how to respond to, uh, to justice and injustice and racism in the world, Jesus, um, we, we come to you asking that you would change our hearts and our minds 
that we could see people the way you do with the love and the care and the compassion that you do. Thank you. We do love you. Amen.